Hello, cyber friends. This is Chatting Cyber, and I'm your host, Mark Shine. This podcast focuses on how companies can help qualify and quantify the cost of a data breach. Chatting Cyber features some of the most well-respected privacy and cyber experts in the world. Join the conversation with business leaders, government agencies, and cyber experts to learn more about how and why they got into this ever-changing field that we call cyber risk. Hello, cyber colleagues. I'm Mark Shine, National Co-Chair of the Cyber Center of Excellence here at Marshall McLennan Agency. And today we have a true cyber celebrity with us, uh, Peter Halperin. Peter, thank you for joining. Mark, thank you for having me. Of course. Uh, so, Peter, as always, um, you know, how does somebody growing up in New York end up becoming one of the top privacy attorneys at Passage, which is an excellent uh, national law firm? Well, well, thank you, uh, and, and thank you for all, all the compliments. I, I appreciate them, and I'm honored to be here. Um, you know, as you know, our, our firm specializes in insurance coverage, so we assist policyholders with their insurance coverage issues. Um, over the course of probably the last six or seven years, I don't know exactly when, um, I started doing a lot of work in the um, cyber insurance space, originally focused on business email compromise, and I think as time has progressed and new threats have evolved, things like ransomware and, and I think what we're going to talk about today, you know, privacy liability have, have arisen, have kind of moved to the forefront um, and become very much a part of really daily practice with inquiries about cyber risks and, and you know, coverage for cyber risks. Sure, sure. You know, one, one of the things that I really wanted to really dive into in today's episode was uh, the Illinois Privacy Act, actually the Biometric Information Privacy Act. Um, Peter, can you, can you tell our listeners a little bit about BIPA, uh, what, it, what it is, how it was created, and perhaps what makes it so unique versus some of the other privacy laws that we have here in the U.S.? Sure. And, and I will start out by saying, you know, I'm a, I'm a humble, humble insurance lawyer. Um, I'm not a privacy lawyer. So if people have specific questions about BIPA compliance, I, I'm happy to direct you to, to the experts. Um, and there are many. But in terms of insurance coverage for, for these kinds of issues and, and how this all arises. So uh, the Illinois Act uh, came about in around 2008. Um, I think it's most notable because it was one of the first and because it was one of the first, it's had the most longevity and probably the most litigation surrounding what it is and, and the scope of what it's intended to cover. Um, I think what it's mainly intended to cover is protection for biometric risks. So we're talking about fingerprints and retinal scans and anything else that is a, based on a biometric marker, something involving the body. Um, and so as you all know, probably you know, 20 or 30 years ago, it was in James Bond movies where you saw people doing all kinds of things with retinal scans and, and, and things of that nature. But now it's become far more commonplace. And you're seeing people, uh, you know, with at work with their employers, if they need access to a certain area, it could be a fingerprint or a retinal scan or, or something like that. Um, even when you pay for things with your iPhone. I mean, I, I think the pandemic has really escalated or or pushed the evolution of mobile payments from something that was a nice, fun thing to do to something that's become almost essential and regular. And so, you know, when you go to pay with things with your iPhone, you're, you're looking at it, um, you know, with your face, it's taking a facial scan and saying, oh, okay, um, that is Mark. And yes, he did pay for, you know, a $30 latte. Um, and so you move on, you know, <laughs> in that vein. So that, that's really the kind of thing it's supposed to do. It's supposed to regulate the collection dissemination, um, uh, storage, uh, consent requirements, uh, even destruction, all of those things. 
uh, cradle to grave. That's really what, what uh, BIPA is supposed to do. Um, what, what really changed the game in BIPA though was a couple of years ago, there was a Supreme Court decision in Illinois involving Six Flags, the theme park. And I guess to be a theme park ticket holder, and this I guess betrays the fact that I'm not, um, you have to do a fingerprint scan. I would just throw up on all the roller coasters and they wouldn't have me back. So, uh, you know, you got to do a fingerprint scan and uh, a mother of a, a teenager who had to do the fingerprint scan objected to the fact that Six Flags conducted this process um, and, and allegedly not in accordance with, with BIPA and with certain regulations about storage and consent and all of these other things. So um, they filed a lawsuit against Six Flags and the main argument um, from Six Flags was, well, that doesn't really matter because there was no violation. It's not like your data got out. It's not like anyone learned about your data. We just, you know, technical violation, right? We didn't send you the right form or, or something yeah. of that nature. And uh, the Illinois Supreme, it went all the way up to the Illinois Supreme Court. The Supreme Court came back and said, nope, doesn't matter. Violation is a violation and you will have to pay for every violation. I can't remember what the amount is, either $500 or $1,000. And while, you know, for a huge company that might not seem like a lot of money, these cases are being prosecuted on a class scale. So on behalf of all employees who, who need to be fingerprinted or all customers who need to be you know, fingerprinted. So when you do that, when you're talking about millions and millions of people, all of a sudden $500 or $1,000 per person becomes a humongous amount. Plus you have the defense costs associated with you know, fighting the litigation and, and going through all that. So it's becoming a major area of concern for companies across the country. And the one thing I'll add, Mark, is um, Illinois kind of kicked this off. So I think it's the most prominent. We're seeing it in the most places, but it's far from the only jurisdiction that has this. Uh, California has their CCPA, which after some bumps and starts come into effect, we should expect more across the country, um, absent some kind of federal litigation, I'm sorry, federal legislation, which so far has not yet been forthcoming. So, so, Peter, um, you know, I know that certain privacy acts have something called a private right to action. Would you mind explaining what a private right to action is? And then does BIPA have a private right to action? Yeah, great, great question. And um, I think the easiest way to think about it is, does can individuals act or does it have to be something that is conducted by the government? So, for example, uh, if there's a state attorney general in Illinois, are they the only ones who are allowed to sue people for violations or can uh, individual litigants who have been harmed uh, sue under a, a private right to action. So in Illinois, you can sue under private right to action, which is part of the reason why so many people are um, joining these class actions and taking action um, under the statute. So a good reason why the Illinois statute is one of, of particular concern. Excellent. Um, in your experience, Peter, has insurance played a big role in some of these BIPA claims? Um, are you seeing insurance response? Yeah, so um, the interesting thing I think that we're seeing too is a lot of litigation about whether or not insurance should respond, but um, I caution that most of those cases involve general liability or business owners policies and not cyber insurance. So the major litigations around the country are, will this general liability coverage kick in for you know, something like a violation uh, of BIPA? You know, the people who are harmed are alleging humiliation and mental anguish and all these other kind of bodily injury type concerns. Um, and so, you know, the, the question arises as to you know, whether or not that data is covered or if there is some kind of exclusionary language. And we've seen some cases, including one that went all the way up to the Illinois um, Supreme Court yet again, 
um, which in fact found that there was coverage because an exclusion that was cited for, um, uh, I wrote it down here so I didn't forget the name, distribution of materials in violation of statute didn't apply. And that was a, 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 an exclusion focused mainly on TCPA. Uh, well, can you ask me the question again? Sorry. Sure. Um, so so the, the role that insurance plays within a BIPA claim. Right. So um, insurance can play, I think, two particularly critical roles. One, it can help with the defense of the claim. And two, it can help with the indemnity or the settlement of, of a potential class of a, of a class action. Um, what's been interesting over the last couple of years is that there's been a lot of litigation, particularly involving general liability and business owners policies, not so much cyber policies, mm -hmm. over um, whether or not there is coverage for this kind of thing. And in particular, whether uh, an exclusion based on the distribution of materials in violation of the statute, particularly TCPA, would also apply to BIPA or other similar claims. Um, and so there have been a number of decisions around the country. I'll highlight two quickly. Um, one in the Illinois Supreme Court found that there was coverage uh, because the uh, exclusion wasn't specific enough to necessarily cover the risks associated with BIPA. Whereas a decision this year uh, in the last month or so from the um, Eastern District of North Carolina actually went the other way and said, no, no, no. And the word, the exclusion wording was slightly different. Um, but based on the wording of that exclusion said, no, that's BIPA was precisely what was uh, supposed to be encompassed in this exclusion, and therefore there's no coverage. So um, two observations there. One is, you know, absolutely, if you have express coverage under a cyber policy, um, that, that's the best, right? Because there, there's hopefully not going to be any fight about whether or not the risk is covered in the first place. Um, and two is if you do have these other policies and you don't happen to have a cyber policy, one, talk to Mark and, and get a cyber policy. Um, but two, you know, look at all of your policies and see if there is coverage elsewhere. There may or may not be, but best practices would always be look, look to a cyber policy. And Peter, if, if our listeners were uh, having an issue with a particular matter and they wanted to reach out to you to try and figure out if there was coverage or not, we'd, how would they reach out to you? Can you give them maybe your contact info, phone, email, uh, LinkedIn, however you prefer? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm hiding in plain sight. Um, you can definitely find me on LinkedIn. And in fact, if you're listening, hopefully we'll, we'll link to this uh, this. Um, podcast and we'll be able to just click through and you can find me. Uh, I'm also, I work at Passage LLP, um, P-A-S-I-C-H L-L-P. So you can uh, Google me and find me on the web, but um, yeah, e easy to find, hiding in plain sight. Excellent. Excellent. So um, let's shift gears to industries. So I hear HIPAA and high tech has to do with health healthcare. Part 500 has to do with financial institutions. BIPA, is there a certain industry that is this specific to, or is this all industries in your experience? Yeah, it's completely industry agnostic. Um, you're, you're seeing cases involving um, tanning salons to hospitals, you know, anything where someone needs to gain access through a biometric identifier and there's any nexus at all to Illinois, um, there's going to be a potential risk for uh, a BIPA claim. But, um, you know, we, we did a survey, uh, I think it was in 2019, actually, of some of the early cases and really seemed to see three fact patterns. Um, one would be employee timekeeping. So if you have employees who need to clock in and clock out, maybe they had to fingerprint to do that or scan to do that. Um, that, that was leading to BIPA claims. 
BIPA claims involving employee access. So one that I, I think a lot about involved the hospital. They kept you know certain sensitive drugs and other materials in a certain room that only certain employees could access, and they required biometric identifiers to do that. And lastly, like the Six Flags example, it's customers who have to do something similar. So if they want a season pass to something um, and they have to give their fingerprints, um, that that is a biometric identifier that that falls within the statute. Excellent. So we just covered a tremendous amount of information in a, in a fairly short amount of time. And I feel like I didn't ask you perhaps a certain question that I should have. Peter, is there anything that I should have asked in today's kind of conversation that we didn't get to touch on yet? Wow. This is, you know, that's the, the last question you're supposed to ask in every <laughs> So it, you're, you've, you've obtained law, law school through uh, osmosis. Um, <laughs> Is there something I was supposed to ask, that you thought I was going to ask that I didn't ask? Um, I don't think so. I, I think that the, the main thing that, that, that people need to, to keep in mind is just when you're doing policy reviews and when you're working with your broker to assess your policy, um, the more express the coverage can be for something like BIPA, I think the better. Um, better to know exactly what is and what isn't covered when you're buying your policy so that you can really understand the risks associated with what you're doing than to try to have to figure it out after the fact. And, and I think the worst part about trying to figure it out after the fact from a client perspective is now you're fighting two battles, right? You're trying to fight the BIPA battle with the class action you know, law firm that is pursuing the action and, and, and the litigants uh, on the one hand. And then on the other hand, you're also in the midst of coverage dispute. Um, the other advantage, I think, if you're working with your insurer and your insurer is providing coverage is that they may see a lot of these claims for a lot of their clients. And so panel counsel or counsel that is pre-approved may have a lot of experience fighting these things, and it may even help reduce liability and perhaps defense costs um, on, that, on that side too. So uh, really valuable to have the right policy and the right um, team in place to reduce your liability. Well, Peter, um, I certainly don't want to keep you any longer, but before I let you go, I just have one last question for you. Um, from an employment issue, um, does this start to become an, an issue or a concern for our HR, HR directors that are on today's call? Is, there, is, is this something that they need to be aware of? Is this only a general counsel matter? I think the answer is both. I, I think they need to work with general counsels so that they aren't setting up employee time, for example, timekeeper record systems where employees need to fingerprint in and general counsels are unaware of that. And now there's this huge privacy risk that the company didn't appreciate. Likewise, um, if HR is handling something like that, but they don't let risk management know or risk finance know, then you, know, you may have this huge liability that again, might not be covered by your policy if you, you know, depending upon what you have. So I think it's really important as with all lines, but particularly cyber, where people may not be aware of the insurance interplay with um, the risk to work together and make sure that you're getting the right product that truly is tailored to the needs of your business. Well, Peter, thanks for coming on the show and chatting cyber with us today. Thank you. It was a pleasure and uh, hope, hope to see you in person one day soon. Looking forward to it. All right, take care.